Almost 20 years ago, our paths crossed in the sneaker world. And since then, we have been on a professional and personal journey together. We've made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of fun, and even a few wins along the way. Our goal is to share our experiences and insights so you don't have to make some of the same errors that we did. And in addition, we want to help you begin to think about things a little different. So join us as we unpack our unsolicited and sometimes polarizing views on business, faith, and family questions that make you want to unfollow. AP, we have done it. We have made it through 2020. Uh, we are sitting here at the end of the year recording our capstone episode for the Unfollow podcast. And let's let's break it down. Like let's go through a year real yeah. quick. Um, let's don't belabor this, but at the same time, like there's been so much that we've probably learned and we can unpack. Um, but let's do it in brief. So the first thing I would say is, is that you got paid to think this year. Um, yes, you were still in leadership at Bacardi. Yes, you were still leading Patron, but like more than ever, you were paid to think you were paid to speak. Um, you were paid to share. So like, let's just start there. Since racism was the number one topic of the unfollowed podcast based on analytics, I'd love to hear from you um, some of your big takeaways on racism um, and the things that you were, you were honestly like you were needed to speak on this year. Yeah, man. 2020 was a, a heck of a year. And I think to make it to what we hope to be the end of the year, employed, married and you know, and still alive is a is a celebration in and of itself. But no, I think, listen, I think the racial reckoning, you know, that we had as a nation, as a country, but also as as a as a a world. I think we all come to this new sensitivity and this new consciousness that the necessary evils that we accepted uh, or that we were silent to have now become. Um, our opportunity to yep. correct things that, you know, historically have not been on our radar. So me as a African-American man speaking about racism and railing against some of the things that might have been institutionalized or people, you know, who are white or some non-black peers who are coming along that journey. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think part of learning for me is, you know, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And so we've had to pace ourselves. And, you know, yeah. I think, you know, the real piece, the real work happens offline. Right. It's not, you know, it's not podcasts or webinars or town halls. It's like decisions and meetings. It's taking a step back so someone else can take a step forward. It's elevating a voice. Yeah. It's where you vote and how you vote. Yeah. It's, um, you know, how you spend your money. And I, my yeah. prayer and my hope is that a lot of the progress we've made uh, becomes something that we can continue with momentum that actually makes change, not yeah. just, you know, looks like the perception of change. Man, that's so good. So I was going back through my journal. I keep a journal every year um, and I was pulling out key moments because I wanted to be able to like point to them with you today. And one of them for me happened on May 6th and it said white Christian men can no longer be silent. They must call racism sin. And I know yeah. for me that this was a key moment this year. It was the understanding that like I don't necessarily have the ability to inform or speak to a different group other than the one that I am actively participating in. Yeah. And that is white Christian men. Right. And so when, when I speak, I speak from that perspective. And as a white Christian man, 
I could no longer accept racism as just something that happens. Racism can't be something that, you know, hey, it may have been a part of my family or maybe it was my uncle or maybe racism is something that just, you know, is part of our culture. No, it's just not acceptable. As white Christian men, we have to say that racism is sin. And for a lot of people, that's hard to hear, right? Because they either will attach that to self or they don't necessarily want to go that far. They might just say, oh, it's a bias, or they just look at things the wrong way. But I think what we see in Scripture, and I spent a lot of time in Scripture this year, and what I saw was a God that was really, really big on aliens, people that were marginalized, um, people that were on the outside loving and caring for them. And so it was very clear to me that racism is sin. And I think we can even go into the New Testament and pull that out. It's like to know to do right and do it not, man, that is sin. And so for me, that May 6th date is has been tabbed in my journal as like a, a key a key moment that um, we just called it out. We just said, hey, racism is sin. Man, it's man, it's so critical. And I, I appreciate people like you, right? And you would never celebrate yourself because you know how much work needs to be done. But I I celebrate that motivation and that mindset because it takes that to really get to work. You know, I think being not racist is not enough. I think for so long, just being not race, racist or neutral. So, hey, you know, maybe I don't, I laugh at the joke, but I don't tell it. Yeah. Or, hey, I notice I'm the only white. Uh, I, I notice there's no white, uh, non-white people in the room, but you know what? It's okay because we're all familiar. And yeah. it's no longer enough just to be not racist. You have to be anti-racist. And I think the cornerstone of our Christian faith is that none of us is good enough. And so we all depend on a crucified Savior who who came and died for our sins and that our hope is not in our works, but it's in his work that he does through us. And so how much should the Christian church, how much should white Christians stand up and be able to be a beacon of light for that message and unite and have that unity and that oneness of spirit to help reconcile some of those things. And so yeah. I, I think for me, especially as a as a um, African-American who's in largely white spaces, even my own faith community is largely white yeah. Christians. I think there is this constructive dissatisfaction that when you see people who might have benefited historically from racism or have been inactive or silent in racism, when you have a shared faith, but your view and response to that sin, the original sin is different, it does make you question whether you belong, right? And yeah. so I think you, you start to ask yourself questions like, right? are we are we serving the same Savior? Right. Are we reading the same scripture? Because you can see so many different yeah. things collide. And, and I think for me, you know, everything kind of, you know, as you remember, and not to fast forward through the year, but I will say everything kind of came to a resurgence, you know, during the election kind of yeah. day that turned into election week. Um, yeah, it was it was tough stuff mentally, emotionally, I think spiritually to have that yeah. reckoning. But I, I'm excited to think for what I hope would be an opportunity to take off the makeup that America has worn for so many years and look ourselves in the mirror, have yeah. a very honest assessment of where we are. Yeah, man. So that was our biggest topic of the year was racism. You know, yeah. if you look at the topics of is your church racist? How do I um, act as an anti-racist? Those were the big conversations that we had this year um, on the Unfollow podcast. But they're also big conversations that you had inside of your church. And they're also big conversations you had on podcasts as big as the Gary V podcast this year. Then you went on to win 
and an American Advertising Federation like Hall of Fame award right at the end of the year, which was crazy. So like there's this whole year where you felt like that you were battling not only with people within your own faith sometimes about race, right? But then also sharing that story of you as an African-American man with other people so that they understood. Um, and then at the capstone of the year, there there's a whole group of people out there in our profession in marketing advertising that said, yeah. you're great, and we want to hand you a trophy. I got to ask <laughs> you, though, did that moment, how did that feel at the end of the year, right? To have that kind of career success after such a year of struggle for you, um, what was that like? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a hard question. It, it's still a hard, I think, thread for me to mentally uh, pull apart. You know, it's and as I said, actually during the American Advertising Federation Hall of Achievement um, ceremony, it was you know so much of success is given to individuals, but it's never earned through individual effort. And yeah. so, on one hand, you're like. Man, I am the recipient of privilege in terms of I've had the opportunity to work with people and have mentors and leaders who have opened doors and yeah. given me opportunities. I work with agencies and teams and people every step along the way. I can make a list of who's who of a yeah. hundred people who have given Adrian Parker a chance, um, and not even because he's black, it's because they they saw something in me that I still yeah. struggle to see in myself. Yeah. And so, on one hand, you see this this recognition that you know is um, not deserved on your own, but you celebrate the fact that it reflects all the people who have helped you along the way. Mm -hmm. And I remember I, mean, I spent, when I got the no notification of, hey, you've been nominated and you know we're supporting you, I spent probably a month talking them out of it, right? Like, I, <laughs> hey, I don't have time for this. Like, I, yeah. you know, I, I'm not deserving. And yeah. I think, you know, you, on one hand you have this, you know, great industry recognition. Yeah. And on one hand you have this realization that, Wow, there's so much work to be done in our industry, uh, yeah. in advertising, in marketing, yeah. and in business. And so yeah. I think I viewed it as an opportunity, but also an obligation to use that voice and that platform and continue yeah. to challenge organizations. Um, yeah. One of my um, uh, co-inductees, a guy named Brandon Pierce, who was a creative uh, director, uh, actually creative vice president uh, at Hulu, use his acceptance speech to talk about how, you know, as a black male, we're endangered species. And he used his entire time to really challenge his industry to step up. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we, we had that opportunity responsibility. I've had so many uncomfortable conversations this year <laughs> about yeah. racial issues, about social issues, about sexism, about things that yeah. I prefer not to talk about. Yeah. But I, I don't think we had that luxury. And I think as a leader, yeah. uncertainty is a part of our job description. I think as a Christian, yeah. comfort is something that we can't seek at the expense of confronting what's wrong. Yeah. I think that's where I've been so proud of you this year is that you didn't ask for any of this to happen, right? <laughs> no, quite but, the opposite. I, yeah. I, I would have had a really good year with, with none of it. <laughs> yeah. And as a seven on the Enneagram, yeah. like you just want to have fun, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But you leaned heavily into that eight wing this year and had hard conversations. You had, conflict with people um, that you knew or didn't know about something that was so personal to who you are as a human being, but also who you are as a believer in Christ. And so I took so much inspiration. I mean, there were so many nights, even like right now that I can barely even how much your, your strength and your faith through this year and how so often, you know, in these moments in our society that 
I've seen you or Chris or any of our other African American friends like in these in these moments, and I've heard your voices, and man, they have just been so beautiful to kind of drown out all the noise of the crazy people out there, right? And so I'm just so grateful for you that you would you would take this journey on as a leader because the truth is is like. You just you just really want to go to the pool with your kids and do marketing and advertising and love yeah. Jesus. And then yeah. somehow along the way this year, you got pulled into having to be a leader as an African-American man to speak up for other African-Americans in a professional setting that you weren't like you weren't clamoring to do this. It's not like you're a community organizer. And so, yeah. like, man, I'm just proud of you. Like you were a hero this year, man. And I just love you for it. Man, thanks, man. I, I appreciate those words. And I know that that comes from really a, a bottom of your heart as a friend yeah. and, and as a as a brother, man. I, I appreciate it. I think your support. I think you've been such a great example of giving me those nice nudges of, <laughs> hey, let's let's do it. Let, let's go. Yeah. Um, and yeah. making space and making encouragement for yeah. for someone like me who, you know, at every angle, you know, you're kind of doubting you know, like what's the ROI of speaking yeah. out about racism, right? Yeah. What's the, what does this mean for my family? Yeah. What does this mean for relationships with people who might right. disagree with me? And, you know, I think what I've taken away is, you know, this has been a year of crisis and that word crisis, the original kind of meaning in Greek means uh, to sift. Mm. And it's this, it denotes like deciding and separating. And so yeah. a crisis separates priorities from lower priorities. It separates the essential from the non-essential. Um, it makes you decide what's important. And yeah. we've had a financial crisis. We've had economic crisis. We've had a health um, crisis. We've had so many things going on in our country. I think every, each one of us this year, a lot of us have, have had a personal crisis. And I think for yeah. me, it's really been that the gift of the crisis to separate what's truly important. Yeah. Is it tequila and selling cases and making money right. and preserving your legacy and your income, your tax bracket and your title? Yeah. Or is it speaking out so that, you know, Caleb, Chloe and Chandler hopefully yeah. have a better future uh, where it's more equitable speaking out because there's an Adrian Parker who's just starting in the ad industry and yeah. he won't have to go through some of the things I've gone through yeah. or speaking out in my community because there are people who need to have an awareness of how their inaction or their action affects other people. And so I, I think yeah. it's really been that sifting that has really forced me to kind of really step up and, and, and mature. I'd, I'd say man up. And I, I think I'm looking forward to not only doing it when it's a hot topic or you're angry or in response, but doing it as a lifestyle because we know it's our responsibility. So yeah, I appreciate your words, man. It's a, it's, it's been a beast. <laughs> So to that point, I think without a strong faith, it's impossible to take some of this work on. And so I was going to ask you this year, how has your faith grown? How has it changed? How maybe, you know, have you pulled away at times? Um, where are you at in your faith and like what has been good for you and what has been bad? Yeah, I mean, the, the faith walk is such a, you know, it's you walk by, you know, faith, not by sight. And I think this year has been a testament to that mm -hmm. and is, is wholly uncomfortable and um, inconvenient as that faith walk is, I think oftentimes we share those struggles in past tense and we celebrate where we are today. And now I got to say, I'm, I'm just still in the middle of it. I'm still in the middle of that ugly journey of, well, what do you want me to do next? Uh, what's new? What's different? You know, what do I do? Right. And I, I think, you know, my faith has definitely been, um, I'd say tested um, in terms of maybe not my faith in God, but there are so many things we put our faith in. 
right? So you put your faith yeah. in, you know, material things and it's materialism. You put your faith in people or put your faith in yourself and that's pride. Yeah. Um, and so there's so many things we can put our faith in. And I think all of those have cracked this year. You put <laughs> your faith in your job and you've got massive unemployment and a, a upcoming recession. Put your faith in your health and now we're all in quarantine. You put your faith in all these things. Yeah. And now, you know, it's really forced me as an individual to, you know, really put my faith in God in a way that's been so real, but also so humbling because you realize like how little you are. You know, a year ago, me and you were, you know, we were making plans to take over the world and where we're going to travel, what we're going to do. And then now look at us. (laughs) Like what? If you ever needed a reminder of how little you are in comparison to to, to God uh, and his will, this is it. Yeah. No, that's good. I think for us, for when I say us, I mean, Johanna and I at home, uh, the last 18 months have been this journey. And uh, I was in Chicago in February, kind of before everything you know, fell apart with the lockdown. And it was one of those last trips that I was taking before Emmanuel got here. So Joe had already been through yeah. chemo early on. Um, she had then paused for Emmanuel to be born in March. I, I stood in this hotel that I was in in Chicago, and I just heard a word that just said, D it is pursuit over perfection pursuit over perfection. And I wrote that down. Um, I took it back home and I've kept it all year um, because pursuit is something that I can do for the rest of my life. Right. And I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to achieve perfection, whether it's in my work, whether it's in my relationships. Um, And so I can always be in pursuit of that. And that was so good for me this year. Cause you know me, like I'm super aggressive. Like I have so much energy you're a plow. Um, you got that plow. Yeah, I got this plow. Um, but this idea of being in pursuit like a cheetah after its prey was so powerful, right? And then as we went throughout the year, um, my relationship with my wife was very different, right? Like we had a baby. She's going through cancer. Like pursuit as it yeah. came to relationship looked very different, right? Like I think yeah. as a as a healthy married man, you would say, man, a lot of times I'm pursuing my wife because I know what comes at the end of that. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. There's a, there's, yeah. There's a benefit to yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, or as I say to both of us. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> oh, anyway. oh, you know, Joe, 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 try to be judge of that. <laughs> but that pursuit had to look very different. And I... I just gave it to the Lord this year, right? Like I gave myself over to him and said, Hey, I need you to take, take all of me and I need to pursue Joe and I need to love Joe and I need you to keep me healthy this year so I can have the strength to do this. And he did. And he did. Like we are sitting here at the end of 2020. Johanna has a clean health report. Um, after her last scan, she got the port pulled out of her chest last week. Um, and our marriage is so strong. Um, and I would tell you, like, none of that happens if I don't continue to pursue. And pursuit looked very different, right? But pursue him, pursue her, pursue being a dad. Like, I just had to pursue. And so I think as we look at next year, mm-hmm. grit grit and gratitude. Grit and gratitude. Like, that has been a big part of this year is, like, digging and being grateful, but I think that's going to be our continued theme is this idea of grit and gratitude. And so for me this year, one of the so good. biggest faith things was um, the Bema Disciple 
podcast. So the Bay Mod Discipleship podcast was something that I came to through some young guys in my life here. You know, they're always cool. They're always into like stuff way before me. But Johanna had asked like, hey, let's go back to the Bible again together. Like my faith has really been tested. It's really been tried. I'm not sure where I'm at on some stuff. Like, can we go through the Bible together? Done. No problem. Hey, here's a tool that I've got from these guys. It's called the Bay My Discipleship Podcast. Let's listen to it together. And man, shout out to Marty Solomon. We'll put the links in the show notes here. But this guy started recording this podcast like three years ago. He's a rabbinical um, Bible teacher out of uh, the Pacific Northwest. I think he's moved to Ohio now. But over the course of three to four years, they literally went through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, book by book. And it was unbelievably beautiful to relearn what has been hidden away, what has been locked inside this ancient text that we are so blessed to even have. Like, can you believe that we even have this text? And so as we look at a lot of like what our little evangelical brains have learned, you know, in our short (laughs) time here on the earth, even in the last hundred years that weren't necessarily part of church tradition or uh, Jewish tradition before that, like where our faith comes from, like relearning some of that for the first time in a new way was so beautiful. And um, so I am so grateful for that. So I'm so grateful that the struggle pushed us to go deeper, like not Joel Olstein, you know, uh, not, not oils, not some kind of CBD lotion, <laughs> right? Like, and believe me, there, we've talked about this before. There is money to be made in misery. All of these charlatans and snake oil salesmen out there that are telling you to buy survival kits and gold and some kind of supplement. And then they're trying to, you know, get you to donate to their online organization for Jesus. Like it's bull crap. What it really comes down to is that there is an ancient text that was preserved by, by those ahead of us. And we get the opportunity to learn from it. If we will spend the time in doing that, man, you grow so much. And I'm just so grateful for that here in 2020. That's growth. You know that, I mean, it's funny you said the word gratitude and I think that's been such just a word that's been, I love grit too. So I might steal your theme, but gratitude has been on my heart uh, for the past few weeks. Um, You know, and in many ways I've I've received the gratitude adjustment because I think oftentimes it's so easy just to what's wrong. What am I lacking? What am I being denied? What am I going without? And you hear bad news, right? And you know, I've had yeah. neighbors who have medical issues, family in need. I mean, every day you just hear bad news. Right. And it's easy to focus so much of your effort and energy on that than to focus on, you know, yeah. the fact that, you know, God is still good and his goodness isn't isn't dependent on the circumstances. He's good despite the circumstances. And I can I can fully trust that. And that is ability to kind of really, you know, be thankful in, in spite of all those things has really been, I think, a hallmark of what I really focus on is the gratitude of, yeah. you know, waking up and, you know, if my kids are having a meltdown or whatever it is, it is all good. It is yeah. okay. But more more yeah. than that, how do you share that? So can you imagine going through what you and Joe just walked through yeah. without that without, without faith, no. a light, without faith, without oh. your community, without yeah. God, is there a guiding light? I mean, I can't imagine that. And so, but I mean, we all know people in our lives that, you know, have, who don't have that. And so yeah. for me, I think it's increased the urgency to really walk and live that yeah. out in a way that really points people back to what I know is necessary for me, which is him. Yeah. 100%. So that is a great transition into 
you know, I know your shelves have been full this year of books, right? <laughs> and you have pulled most of them off and went through them. Um, it's not Joel Osteen. It's uh, <laughs> I'm going to send you a Joel Osteen like whole collection for for Christmas this year. <laughs> yeah, it's not a Joseph Prince book, yeah. right? Like, yeah. it's not any of these charlatans yeah. that are selling um, trash, right? Like, what what are the books this year that have inspired you, that have challenged you, that have grown you? I gotta say, you know, it's probably the recency effect of a book I just read um, last weekend. And I pretty much finished the book in, in two days straight, which was mildly annoying to my kids and my wife because I'm sitting there by the fireplace just reading a book. Uh, but I had a, a good friend uh, send me this book called The Road to Character by David Brooks. And it has just like rocked me because it really is just a look at, you know, this, the concept of, you know, if you look at your your resume virtues, right? Like, Things you can discern with your eye, wealth, your status, where you live, etc. And then the eulogy virtues, right? These are the things that are going to be said and remembered at your funeral. It won't be wealth, where you live, and your title, right? It'll be kindness, bravery, honesty, mm. forgiveness. And using these historical figures, you right, um, from, you know, uh, Augustine, a monk, right, to the civil rights movement, uh, Randolph Joseph, to all these people and showcasing Eleanor Roosevelt, how they've like exhibited these eulogy virtues, like living in action, yeah. the values that we all say we want. And it just kind of rocked me, man, because A, it showed there's not one way. Yeah. Everyone just used what they had. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of not turning, you know, a, a principle, t- turning your experience into your principle. Like God is so unique, uh, but also just like, and what do you want to be remembered for? You know, yeah. and, and, or in your term, right? What dent are you going to make? And unless you're deliberate about making that dent, yeah, I honestly think we could waste so much of our time. So I mean, I I read <laughs> this whole thing, uh, and it's I mean, it's it's dog-eared and highlighted and underlined, and honestly, I'm still processing a lot of it. So it's the kind of book you That's read, cool. and you, you kind of need to read it again. But yeah, The Road to Character by David Brooks. Um, I'm 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 late to the scene. I think it came out a, a few years ago, but it's an amazing, amazing read that I highly recommend. That is crazy. So the book that I have written down is one of mine from this year that left the biggest dent in me was Second Mountain by David Brooks. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and and it, honestly, if you're listening, we did not coordinate that at all. We did not plan that. So David Brooks, <laughs> shout out. Yeah. Um, the other book for me was Divine Conspiracy um, by Dallas Willard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you are a Dallas Willard fan, he's one of the greatest Christian philosophers of our lifetime died a few years ago. He deep, like this is like a take a couple pages at a time kind of deep. Right. And it's even in small text. Um, but it was consistently popping up, um, in people that I would say, like I saw fruit in their life in people that, um, I love and respect. Like they constantly either referencing this book or it was books. It was, it was a book that was on their must, must read list. Right. And this is definitely something that is outside of my comfort zone. I mean, you and I both like be better, do better kind of books. You and I both like books that we can chew up in, you know, a couple of days. But like this book has been heavy and it's been great. So in this kind of year where I've needed to grow my faith, and I don't just mean like grow my faith. I mean like 
a deeper understanding of who this creator God, who this Jesus was, like those kind of deep things. Man, Dallas Willard, Divine Conspiracy, 100%, man. It's been so, so good this year. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to write. Yeah, I'm obviously familiar with Dallas Willard. I haven't read that book, but uh, sounds like it, it'll be next on my uh, on my list. Um, any podcasts for you this year, by the way? Yeah, you know, I mean, if, if you've listened to any uh, amount of our podcast, you know, I am always referencing my man Darius Daniels. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Every podcast is like. It, um, how you describe uh, the Dallas Builder book? Like you kind of gotta like read two pages and then put it aside because it's yeah. so dense. Yeah, you know Darius is um, his podcasts are just amazing. I mean, it, you know, fifteen minutes and you kind of have to pause it because you, your brain's already full of things yeah. that you need to assess. So highly, highly recommend that. It's just full of this wisdom. I think his ability um, to have theologically, biblically sound thinking, but to contextualize it for a modern audience with in our culture and his ability to kind of bring that to life. Um, you know, he's, he's like a cooler, hipper, uh, Andy Stanley, right? <laughs> you know, Andy Stanley is a guy who can just like break it down to the simplest yeah. kind of yeah. nugget, almost too yeah. simple for, you know, for yeah. some, uh, you know, super Christians. Um, Darius Daniels, man, his podcast is amazing. I continue to, to, to use that. How about you? Um, you know, I think the go-tos for me, consistently every week have been the Bama podcast. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of content there as you unpack the entire Bible. So that's been good. And I've been reading along with that. Um, the daily dad podcast has always been a good one for me. Just kind of a stoic reminder of, of what's required of me as a father. Um, and I, I guess those are kind of like my two like go-to, main yeah. go-tos. Yeah, for sure. Maverick City Music this year for me made a big dent in my life. Um, that was something that I picked up early in the year and then uh, kind of held on to that all year long, whether it was in the mornings on the way to the gym or whether it was in a moment of meditation. Those beautiful music moments uh, were almost like I was almost like I was there in that worship moment with them. And so I was just grateful for that this year. It was a different type of music um, for me, and it was it was so good. I just played it on repeat all year long. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, the last trending topic of our podcast this year was it was really leading. It was le- leadership um, across multiple across multiple episodes, and I wrote down you know at home and at work. Um, what were some areas in leadership this year that you learned, you grew from, something that you know you would say, hey, this was a 2020 capstone? Yeah, I mean, my, this leadership journey this year has been so hard. And I say that in a good way, you know, in the way, you know, good workouts when you max out, you know, and you, you reach failure. So like a good workout is when you reach the point of failure because yeah. you know you've reached a new breakthrough yeah. and it might feel horrible, but you know the yeah. gains you're, you're going to get. Yeah. I feel like even though I, I guess I didn't, you know, from the outside looking in, I don't think any of them, some of my peers might think I failed. Who knows? My team. But we, I didn't fail. Like Patron Business is doing extremely well, like almost too well during the pandemic. <laughs> um, you know, my family is healthy and you know, yeah. my wife is amazing. Our marriage is, is strong. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've definitely been pushed to that point of failure, meaning like I've realized my limitations. I've realized, hmm. you know, that uh, oftentimes when I'm trying to orchestrate or manage or control things, you know, God comes in and God creates these collisions and it could be these ugly accidents, these situations or these mishaps or things that happen. And it's yeah. actually him showing you 
dependency, showing you how much uh, you need to rely on him. And mm. I, I think for me, uh, the big leadership principle this week, uh, this year rather, has been this, you know, uncertainty is my job description uh, huh. and that it's OK to take off my armor. It's OK hmm. to be transparent and vulnerable and the mm. true leadership is way different from management, the ability to inspire yeah. Uh, and to not be the smartest person all the time and to let other people shine. That's a hard thing to do with humility day in and day out in a corporate culture that, you know, isn't necessarily incentivized for those same virtues. And so I think I've just learned kind of dependency, transparency, and really just the ability to kind of, you know, embrace those invitations God gives you. And it looks like a car wreck, but it's actually an opportunity to really lean on someone else. Well, I look for you to update your LinkedIn profile to say leadership is uncertainty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Done. <laughs> um, this is so random for me, but it was so good uh, when it comes to leadership inside our home. And it was about our money. So I just made a note to myself. It was October 17th. And it said, I can show you what I worship with my bank account. Ooh. I can show you what I worship with my bank account. Yeah. And I would tell you that like when Joe and I did our taxes on the first week of October, because we always file for an extension, I was really proud of us because we were able to show you what we worshiped. You know, I will also tell you transparently that before 2020, we probably worshiped me Patron a lot more or any other Mexican restaurant in our area. Right. But, 100% number two on that list was generosity. And that in large part is to Johanna's credit. You know, she jokes about this all the time, but she says like her only spiritual gift is generosity. And I think growing up a pastor's kid, growing up in a space where they didn't always have a lot, made her very aware of others who are in need and have made her more empathetic and in those moments. And it has made me such a better person. And when I, again, when I look at the gospel, when I look at the Old Testament, when I look at this text, what he was constantly teaching in the Old Testament was generosity. Don't cut the corner of your fields. Like that's the whole story of Ruth. Don't cut the corners of your fields so that the alien and the widow and the orphan will have something to eat. Right? Like, and so I think for me, leadership at home has been leaning into that, right? So in this moment of, to your point of uncertainty, in this moment of fear that we've been going through this year with cancer, it's like, how can we continue to be generous to those around us, those that might be hurting, those that have, haven't had the same opportunities or um, as, as good as we've had it, even in this crazy season of 2020. So anyway, that was a big takeaway for me in leadership at home. In leadership at work, um, I would tell you it has been something that you've always taught And it is like, make sure that your team doesn't need you, right? (laughs) Like this idea that like you, you being there is to lead them, to guide them, to advocate for them, to be an engine, to make a way. But if you're doing their job, you're not really leading very well. And so that has been the biggest part of our year. And I'm so proud of our team here at More Giles. Like these guys figured out things that, You know, most agencies couldn't figure out. They figured out things that larger brands couldn't figure out. And again, like these are A-level folks, 
you know, working in a sea level market here, a small town in yeah. Virginia. Um, and I'm so proud of them, but I got out of their way and I let them figure it out. And that was a huge part of our success in 2020. It's amazing, man. Oh, I love to hear that. Uh, yeah. Lead like you're leaving. Right. And it's the most <laughs> uncomfortable thing ever because it's like you're watching your kid like, you know, yeah. like take their first steps. But you have to let that grow yeah. and they'll it'll yeah. surprise you every single time. That's amazing to hear. It's good, man. All right. So that is it for the Unfollow podcast season one. We went through. Everything from racism to uh, sex in our marriage. We went and talked about our faith. We talked about our finances. Um, and then we actually talked a little bit about like what we do for a profession, right? And marketing yeah. and advertising and those kind of things. In season two of the Unfollow podcast, I'd love to hear from people that have listened. Like, what do you guys want to hear about more? I know that AP and I are going to probably unpack a lot of the same stuff. It's not like it's going to go away, um, but we'd love to hear from you guys. Like, hey, what do you want to hear about? Especially with access to somebody like Adrian. Like, like, do you want to hear more about marketing and advertising from AP's perspective, um, or less? But, <laughs> you know, or do you want to hear more about what's on his bookshelf? We'd love to yeah. know. So please feel free to hit us up on the Instagram account um, or shoot us an email. Awesome, man. Yeah. Thank everyone for uh, rocking and riding with us, subscribing and listening, giving us feedback and staying tuned in. It really is a community. It's been an awesome opportunity. And I have to thank officially Daryl for the uh, he's been the spark, the producer and the glue for this entire operation. So thanks, bro. I love you, dude. I love you, too. They say that men don't go to therapy. We just start podcasts. And that is so true. of you and I. So for 2020, this is AP in DC checking out. Hey guys, this is DC and this was the Unfollow podcast. We hope you like what you heard today. And if you didn't, that's okay. There's a hundred thousand other podcasts you can choose to subscribe to. But if you like this one, do us a favor and subscribe or share it with a friend.